from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. Well, we were going through marks of a disciple. Now let's go have an ending uh, message on that. That's just me. I just like to have one message at the end that kind of closes everything up so everybody knows. And then this week I was looking at my sermon calendar and go, you know, um, you missed a week and didn't pay attention to what you were doing. And so that's why the sudden transition from last week to the Easter <laughs> series this morning. And as uh, you open your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Matthew 21. Matthew 21. And as you turn there, I'm going to read Matthew 20, verse 18. For this, this is the verse that is setting us up for the next six weeks as we head to Easter. Jesus is speaking and he says, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and deliver him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified, and he will be raised on the third day. I decided to title it Delivered Up because as we go through this series, I want us to be mindful, and we're going to look at it in greater detail this morning, but to be mindful that Easter was deliberate. Easter was not an accident. That Jesus is going to be delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification. That was part of the plan. And when we come to Matthew chapter 21, verse 1 this morning and down to 11 that we'll read in just a second, we're going to a place where you are familiar and it'll say uh, the triumphal entry in the Bibles and your, remember, non-inspired headings to help you find things. And I know the first thing that you're going to say is, well, Gary, didn't the triumphal entry happen on what we call Palm Sunday? And I would say yes. And you'd go, well, this isn't Palm Sunday. And I would say you're two for two. However... If you're going to go through the Passion narrative and you're going to go towards Easter, you kind of got to start with Jesus going into Jerusalem, which is otherwise known as the triumphal entry and, and, and Palm Sunday. And when you come to Matthew's account, Matthew 21 uh, starts that. I mean, it, 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 it begins his Passion, his Easter narrative. And for Matthew 21... Uh, to, to chapter 28, it is concerned with this last week before the crucifixion and the crucifixion and what follows after. I'm always amazed, that I, and i just like to remind you as well how much when you read the Gospels, how much of the Gospel writers spend really on the last week of Jesus' life as opposed to uh, the other three years. Right, I mean, Matthew denotes 19 chapters for three years and then he devotes nine chapters for, for one week. Why is that? Well, all the gospel writers are getting us to Jerusalem to understand that Jesus is going to be delivered up for our sins and raised for our justification. So let's read Matthew 21, verses 1 down through 11. It says, Now when they drew to Jerusalem and came to Bethpage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. 
If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. The disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and put them on their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! And when they entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up, saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. And this morning, as we go through this section, I just really want you to see two things. There's not three bullet points for you to notice. There's kind of just kind of two headings, two acts, if you will. And the acts are going to come from the different perspectives of the people who are involved. And so the first one is just simply God's plan as Jesus enters Jerusalem. All right, we're, we're going to look at these verses from, from the point of view of God saying, all right, Jesus, it, it's time, go in to Jerusalem. And it tells us in Matthew's Gospel, it says in verse 1, they drew near to Jerusalem. For 20 chapters, Matthew has traced the steps of Jesus. And this is interesting. If you go back and look through the, the Gospel of Matthew, you'll see, right, we've, we've got it in the, in the beginning. If you want to talk about Jesus being born in Bethlehem, he talks about the flight down to Egypt. He talks about going through Israel, through Galilee, his ministry there, all these different ministries. But if you go back and you read the first 19 or first 20 chapters of Matthew, what you will find is a glaring omission. Matthew has not mentioned Jesus in Jerusalem at all up until this point. Now, we know from the other gospel writers that Jesus had indeed been to Jerusalem. However, for Matthew, the, his, his point that he is making is he is saying everything that has happened in the previous 20 chapters is leading us to this point. God's plan is leading us, is funneling us down to Jesus drawing near and entering into Jerusalem. It's time. It's time for the next step in God's plan, and that next step is for Jesus to go in. And so he approaches Jerusalem, and he's at Bethpage, and he tells them, hey, go, go get a donkey. You're going to go into the city, and this is what you're going to see. And when you see the, the foal, the person's going to come out, and they're going to think you're stealing their donkey, and when they question you, you say, no, 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 the, the Lord has need for it, and they're going to let it go, and, and, and you're going to bring it to me. Something really odd about this, isn't it? Right? Why in the world does Jesus want a donkey now? We don't have any other text of Scripture that shows Jesus riding a donkey. Did you realize that? In any of the other Gospels, we don't see Jesus on a donkey. And, and just, I just got to throw this in just because y'all hate me. Yeah, Ma we don't. Mary didn't ride the donkey either. I know, I know, I know y'all had the worst Christmas a couple months ago because of me, I'm sorry. But we have no instance of Jesus riding a donkey. Why does he want a donkey now? If you had Jerusalem, 
right? Let, let me do it this way. All right, let's just say that Winston-Salem was just downtown Winston, all right? What we think of downtown Winston, right? Jesus essentially is in Ardmore, right? He, he's right there. He, he's a mile from downtown. He's in Bethpage. He's maybe a mile from Jerusalem. He's walked hundreds and hundreds of miles, and all of a sudden, he can't walk one more mile. He needs a donkey. He says, go get me a donkey so that I can come into the city. It seems like an odd request, doesn't it? You, you can make it one more mile, can't you? Come on. Well, it's part of the plan. It's part of God's plan. And to show everybody this, Matthew records in his text right here, Zechariah chapter 9. And he quotes the verse, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you. How? Mounted on a donkey. Part of God's plan has Jesus coming in on a donkey. It's all part of the plan. Now you can put a little asterisk or put a little weight behind that. We're going to circle around to the end and see why that's a little bit more important than we may realize. But this is part of the plan just as it was prophesied. It was not a hazard, random event. Jesus isn't just stumbling into Jerusalem not knowing what is going to happen. When the time was right, when the appointed time in God's plan, right? Go to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. God says, when, when the appointed time had arrived, Jesus is born. God works in appointed times. He works deliberately. He doesn't work randomly and haphazardly, right? The other day, I, last week, I told you about me clearing some brush out behind the house, and it's really haphazard when I go out there and work because I'll be trying to get something that's like, oh, man, this isn't working, so I'm just going to move over here. I don't really have a plan, which frustrates my kids who are trying to help me. They go, what are you trying to do? I'm like, you see this? It's just, it, it's got to be gone. Well, how are you going to do that? Well, I'm going to take my my weed eater with the blade on it and try to hack at it. If that don't work, I'm going to grab my chainsaw. If that don't work, you're digging. You, you, you know. <laughs> it's, it, it looks from the outsider, it, it, it's really haphazard looking. And, and, and that's what it is because Gary doesn't have a plan developed to make this happen smoothly. That's not what's going on here. And we all laugh because we, we know what a haphazard plan looks like for us. We, just, we, we run full tilt in and hope it works at the end. Not so as Jesus goes in. He's going in on a donkey just like he was supposed to. And it's not really just Zechariah. You can go all the way back to Genesis 49, 10 through 11, where it says, The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the people, binding his foal to the vine and his donkey's colt to the choice vine. This is always part of the plan. And so while I'm sure the disciples at the first point go, that just seems kind of odd. Jesus says, you know what? It's part of the plan. Matthew records it here. It's, it's part of the plan. And when Jesus comes in, look, he says part of the plan is, it says your king right there is coming to you. Your, your king is coming. Now, that's quite a statement, is it not? I mean, all of a sudden, the, the king, wait a minute, I thought this was just Jesus of Nazareth. Now you're telling me that the king is coming. For Israel, this is a huge thing. 
Right? We know that Israel had kings, but what you may have re- forgotten is that there hasn't been a king reigning in Jerusalem at this point for like 600 years. There's no throne in Jerusalem. There, there's no, there's no you, you know, palace for Jesus to go up into. I mean, at, at this time, what you have is Pilate, governor of Judea, Herod Antipas was, was Herod the Great's son and what was called Tetrarch of Galilee. And Tetrarch just means ruler of a fourth because when Herod died, his, his kingdom was divided up. Not, not only that, both of them had to submit to Rome. And all of a sudden, wait a minute, here, here comes the king? You think any of those three would welcome a challenge to their authority? Yet God says when Jesus goes in, He's going in at king. He is the king. But at the same time, we're told what kind of king He would be. Look at how it describes the king. Humble and mounted on a donkey. Now, Matthew doesn't quote the full verse. This is, this is Zechariah 9.9 9 in its entirety. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He said, this king that's coming in, He's going to be righteous. Pilate wasn't. Herod wasn't. In fact, if you go back and you look at Israel's kings, all of Israel, talking about the kings of Judah and the kings of Israel, they had a total of 43. This is how it breaks down of the 43. Seven did right. Two we don't really know much about. Three started well and ended up doing evil, and 31 did evil. So let's lump the three that started well and did evil as as part of the evil. So of the 43 kings, 33 did evil. That's not a good track record for kings of Israel. So when the people are thinking about Jesus as king coming in, their whole context is we live underneath evil kings right now, evil rulers. The kings in the history of, of Israel have been more evil than good, is he just going to be another evil king? It says no. He's going to be righteous. He's going to be a righteous king. He's going to do what is right. He's going to obey God's law. And when the king honored God and his law, and you go back in the nation of Israel, and look, when the king did right, the nation of Israel prospered as well. Can't but imagine that that's what the people are hoping would happen, that Israel would once again prosper. But that's not really the plan. It's not really God's plan. We see God's plan in the full quote of Zechariah where he says, having salvation in Him. Or having salvation is He. Having salvation is He. Now, I don't want to do a grammar lesson because as soon as I do, I will get it wrong. And I have way too many people in my family that will speak up and tell me why my grammar was wrongly worded. Salvation 
is he. So I'm going to turn it into a math problem because I can do math. In math, the word is means equals. Three plus four is seven. Three plus four equals seven. Salvation is he. Salvation equals Jesus. And what Zechariah is telling us, what God is saying about his plan is, my plan means that Jesus, when he comes, Jesus in and of himself is salvation. He is the means of salvation. Only in him is there going to be salvation. He's coming to save his people. And he's not going to save his people in the way the people thought that he would. And that's where we see their plan. So let's look at the same scenario, but now let's look at what happened from the plan of the people. What, were, what was the people's plan as Jesus enters Jerusalem? All right, he's riding up. They're welcoming Jesus into the city. The city at this time was more full than normal, right? Pilgrims from all over the land have made their way to Jerusalem to celebrate Passover. Jesus is approaching the city. And I will pause here because I want to test your biblical knowledge, so don't look down just yet. When we read about the people putting down the coats and putting down the branches... Where is Jesus in relation to the city? Is he outside the city walls or is he inside the city walls? Who thinks inside? If nothing else, you're smart enough to know a trap when you're walking, you know, that Gary has set for you. So kudos to all of you. He's actually outside. So when we, and I bring that up because. There are so many people in the city that they've actually, they, they've overrun the city. They're bursting at the seams. They're outside. Jesus is coming. And so all of this, this triumphal entry begins outside the gates. Right? Verse 8 says, most of the crowd. Now, we're going to read that and think, well, that doesn't mean all of the crowd. That's going to mean some people weren't there. Actually, the way that word most is used in that sentence is a superlative meaning a very large crowd. It doesn't mean most, as we would think about it, and said, oh, all right, most of Red Bank showed up. We know what that means. Here it means most, meaning a very, very large crowd, so that they're spilling out of the city. The people are excited. They start laying their coats down on the ground. I mean, they're, they're excited. They're, they're rolling out the red carpet. Why? Because here comes the king. And we, we've seen that before, right? This, this was a custom Right? You can go back into 2 Kings 9.13 and you can read it. It's happened before. It's not unusual. And even for us, we've not seen it maybe live, but we've, we've seen the movie, right? Where the king or the queen steps in, or stops in front of a puddle and just kind of looks around. And then finally somebody comes and takes off their coats and, and puts it over the puddle, which I've always thought, why don't you just walk around the puddle? But okay, whatever. You know? It's, it's a sign of respect. It's, it's, I mean, they're saying, we are, we are welcoming you. And some of the people who maybe didn't have coats on went and cut down branches and, and, and put the branches on, on the ground. I believe it's Luke tells us that there were palm branches and waving them. I mean, they're just, they're, they're excited. And this is a spontaneous celebration. 
right? This wasn't planned. You know, Jesus didn't send an emissary, hey, I'm coming in at, at, at noon today, make sure everybody's there waiting for me. They've heard about him. Here he comes. Here he comes. Everybody's out of the city putting down the coats. Hosanna. Hosanna. They start to, sh- to shout to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He gets into the city, and I'm sure people are still putting down coats, still waving the palm branches, and, and to such an extent it stirs the whole city. It's pretty amazing, right? That everyone in Jerusalem would know what was happening. From the lowest person in the city to the highest. From from the the worshiper in town to Passover to the high priest. From the elders of the city up to the rulers. Everybody. Even the little kids. Mom, Dad, what's going on? Hey, there's a lot of y'all. Y'all are all all in a stir. What's going on? Jesus just came into the city. Everybody knows. And they're excited. Why? Why are they so excited? Look down in verse 11. After the question of who is this, the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This is the prophet Jesus. It's an interesting way to call, interesting designation. And as he is called the prophet, Matthew is deliberately, and, and the people here as well, are remembering back to Deuteronomy. Specifically Deuteronomy 18, 15 through 19. Talking, uh, uh, Moses is talking, he says, The Lord will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. The Lord's going to raise up a prophet. Just, just like me. He's going to come and he's going to lead you. And with the name prophet, with that designation, it is a claim to divine authority. It means this person is going to have authority to speak for me. That's what the prophet did, right? That's what Moses did. I mean, yeah, he led them out of the Egypt, crossed the Red Sea, and uh, into the Promised Land and all that, right? However, what was the primary function of, of a prophet to speak the words of the Lord to the people. So when the prophet spoke and Moses got up and says, thus says the Lord, when Zechariah says, thus says the Lord, they are speaking with divine authority. And if they're speaking with divine authority, that means they need to be listened to. They need to be paid attention to. And so the crowd is saying, hey, here, here comes the prophet. He's coming in divine authority, which is backed up by their Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're excited. His, his reputation has preceded him, or perhaps some of them have, have seen what he has done. They've heard his preaching. They, they've seen his miracles. They, they know what, he, what he's done. They've looked at him. They've, they've analyzed it. He's coming into the crowd. Here comes the prophet with divine authority. Hosanna to the son of David. Why is that important? Because the promise to rule and to be the king God says, it's going to come through the line of David. 
Right? If you're going to be king of Israel, you've got to come through David's line. And so all the crowd are saying, here comes the king, here comes the Messiah, and he's going to save us. But not like he has, not like God's plan said. See, their plan in calling him prophet, saying the son of David, seeing him as king, they are expecting a political upheaval. They're expecting Jesus to come in and deliver them from, from the rule of Pilate and from the rule of Herod to throw off the Roman government, reestablish the borders of Israel under David and Solomon to the boundaries promised to Abraham in Genesis 15. Jesus is going to set them free. And Israel, once again, would be a power, would, would ascend to power. Jesus is going to sit on the throne and they would be God's people and He would be their God and He would reign as a just and righteous God and, and, and they wouldn't have to worry about their enemies outside the gates. It's what they wanted. It's what they were longing for. It's what their plan was. But it wasn't God's plan. Because God's plan was even better. God's plan was even better. And it goes back, if they had maybe paid attention just a little bit more to the prophecy of Zechariah, they could have seen it. Because he comes riding in on a donkey, which is an absolute deliberate choice. Yes, it is a fulfillment of Scripture. At the same time, it's sending a different message, one that we don't quite understand today. See, all the pilgrims were going into Jerusalem, and they would have been going in on foot. They wouldn't have ridden their animals into the city. So Jesus gets up on the donkey, and if he's on a donkey, everybody's going to see, right? Everybody's going to pay attention to the person on the donkey. So is he just making a statement so that everybody can, can see him? No. See, if he was coming in to set them free politically, to deliver them militarily, he would have come riding in on a war horse, just like generals of that time and emperors and rulers at that time did. If they were going into battle, if they were going into war, they went into war on their horse. They didn't go into war on a donkey. However, in times of peace, you know what the kings rode? Kings rode a donkey. There, there's no reason to ride a war horse if you're not going into war. They, they would travel around on their donkey, again, you can go back through the Old Testament and, and see that play out a couple different times. See, Zechariah 9 says he's coming riding in on a donkey, symbolizing the peace that he is coming to bring. But the peace that he is coming to bring is not peace from Rome. The peace that he is coming to bring is salvation is he. He's coming to bring peace with God. That was God's plan all along. 
For Jesus, through his life, death, burial, and resurrection, to reconcile us to God, to to eliminate the hostility that exists between us, to be delivered up for our sins so that we could be what? Raised in justification. That was God's plan. That was the plan that Jesus was going to go into the city and bring till fulfillment. But it was a plan that was very different from the plan that the people wanted. It was the message that they needed to hear. That doesn't matter. And boy, doesn't this play well today. It doesn't matter who sits on the throne. It doesn't matter who is in office. Because politics will never save You're looking for political salvation, the people are. And even today, people are still looking for what? Salvation in politics. I got bad news for you. I don't care if you vote for a donkey or an elephant. Neither one of them can save you. Jesus comes in and says the real salvation that you need, the real freedom that you need, is freedom from your sins. You need to be reconciled back to God. That's why Zechariah says that he's coming in. Salvation is he. He is coming in to make sacrifice, to die on the cross for our sins so that we can be saved. And he comes to bring us the spiritual peace that we sing about all the time at Christmas, right? When we go to Isaiah and we read it and he says, and talking about who Jesus is, it says he's what? He's the Prince of Peace. And as we start Easter... And we start this message, this series, and we look and see where we're going. We need to understand that God's plan was a deliberate plan of Jesus going into Jerusalem on a donkey so that he could be delivered up for our sins, raised for our justification, so that we can have peace with God. For the greatest need that man has, the greatest peace that man needs, it's not world peace, it's not political peace, it's not absence of war, while all those things are great. It's what the people wanted. And God says, no, the peace that Jesus comes to bring is even greater. It is peace with me, putting to death the enmity that exists between me and you, because Jesus is going to be delivered up for your sins and raised your justification. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.